do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Let's jump in. We've been looking at, John has been unpacking some evidences of if we're a Christian, right? So we, it's, it's possible that you can profess that you're a Christian and your lifestyle doesn't live up to that. And thereby, then we have to ask the question, either there's some spiritual growth that needs to happen or you're not even yet in the family of God. You need to receive the gospel. And so John has been holding up mirrors to our profession and saying, man, are you a Christian, right? Is there enough evidence in your life to say that you're a follower of Christ? And, and so we're going to continue in that journey. My, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a, I, I, this is a lim- limited thing, but my wife and my mom uh, both have this incredible ability to discover when I've done something they've asked me not to do, right? And I, so I don't know that's a small sample size, right? It seems like it's a female thing, but I could be wrong about that, right? And so, at least in my life. And so, uh, I remember my mom had this room, you know, that she didn't want us eating in. And it was the room when I was growing up with the TV in it. Like, like what kind of torture is that to a kid, you know? And so, like, and I, when she wasn't home, I'd sneak in there with my food, you know, and I'd eat, and I'd make sure I cleaned up. There was, in my mind, there was no evidence that I'd eaten in that room, you know, and then she'd come home, and like later that day, she'd, did you eat in the room that you're not supposed to eat in? And I'd be like, yeah, and she, I'm like, how did you know? Well, and she'd go into some kind of fibers on the plate, you know, and crumb fibers in the carpet, you know, and I'd be like, man, caught again. And so that's kind of where we are. Like, there's evidences, you know, of of if we're followers of Jesus uh, Christ. And I I hope that as you hold the mirror up this morning that you're walking with Christ. And if you're not, or you're giving in to sin in a way that would not evidence that you're a Christian, I pray that you would repent. Because here's the deal. God is not the cosmic killjoy, right? We sometimes think, man, if I follow God, it's not going to be any fun. No, sin leaves us in bondage. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will do something for you, right? It'll set you free, and we want you to know the freedom of following God. And so I I pray as we hold up the mirror that if you're in the family of God, hopefully it's just some growth points, right? I know that's me in my life. There's growth points along the way. Or if you're not yet in the family of God, that you would turn from your sin and receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loved you. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. But he, instead of pouring out his wrath on me, he poured it out on his son Jesus on the cross. And Jesus' body rose from the grave, conquering the enemy of sin, the final enemy, which is death, which is the wage of sin. And, uh, and you can have new life. We just sang about it. Death was arrested and my life began. And you can know the new life walking in Jesus. So here it is. First thing I want you to see, point number one, Christians are children of God. Now, that seems like a really common Christian thing to say, but if you think about it, I mean, what an intimate thought that this creator God of the universe cares for you. Let me say that again. I want all your eyeballs. Okay, you're all looking down. Here we go. Ready? The creator God of the universe cares for you. 
The things that you're concerned about this weekend, he cares for you. First Peter says, cast all your cares on him. Why? He cares for you. If you're in Christ, you're one of his kids. That means if he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and you're a dude in this room, that makes you a prince. Amen? Amen? Of the most high God. And if you're a female, if you're a woman, that makes you a princess of the most high. I mean, what a calling that we would be children of God. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I mean, church, as we say, the church, pause for a minute. Look at the kind of love God's given you. That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Beloved, we're children. We're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him. Because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. A couple quick points, all right? First of all, God's love for us is otherworldly, is what John's saying. Like the world can't even figure out God. And, he can, and the world can't figure out us because the, the family identity is otherworldly. Everybody with me on that? I was watching last night, um, I was watching a comedian, Nick Bargatze, and he was telling, like, different points in his show, in his routine, he would say something like, hey, I'm from Tennessee. And then, like, everybody in the crowd that was from Tennessee would go, oh, yeah, woo. And that's kind of common, right, in a comedy room. Hey, I'm from Iowa. And then yeah, everybody from Iowa claps. And then he told a story where he said, hey, I grew up in a home where my parents were Christian." And this is exactly what happened. Nothing. No one in the audience had the boldness to go, that is awesome. Man, I wish I was there. I would have been uncomfortably awkward for everyone around, right? Because the world's looking right now at Christians and going, man, you all have lost your minds. Right? Why? Because the love of the Father is otherworldly. They don't, they don't understand you because they don't understand God, ultimately, if you're living according to the things of God. But John says, but when he appears, this is a really fascinating statement. When he appears, so we're looking forward to his return, we will be like him. I'll go through these quickly. We will be like him, and we will see him as he is. Okay? So I don't know everything that this is talking about, but I do think that John is drawing our attention to glorification. So let me, I'm going to go through quickly, and I'll refer to these in a moment in the sermon. Three really important theological terms, okay, that we sometimes confuse, all right? When we become a Christian, when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus, the Bible says we're justified, the doctrine of justification. And the word justification means we're declared righteous, okay? And so it's a legal term that once you follow Jesus, you're now, you're now, there is therefore in Romans 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you're declared righteous. The works of Jesus, his perfect works, are credited to your spiritual bank account by grace alone through faith alone. That's the doctrine of justification. While we're on the planet, okay, we're in, as a Christian now, we're growing to be more like Christ. And there's a big theological word that's in this middle time. Anybody know what that's called? Sanctification. The root of sanctification is the idea of holiness. So we're not perfectly holy yet, 
We've been declared holy. We're in the family, family identity. And with the family identity, I'm now in process. I'm growing to be holy, sanctification. Sometimes I trip and fall. Sometimes I give in the sin and temptation. But the trajectory is to be more like Christ, okay? And then I will fully and finally be like Christ when he returns and I see him as he is. This final doctrine is called what? Glorification, right? And so we're looking forward in this in-between time to what will be. And so uh, John here is saying, man, when he appears, we're going to be like him. What does that mean, right? Listen, I don't, I don't like to talk about a lot of things that the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about heaven. I think sometimes we, we get really into the particulars of heaven. Like, you know, will I know my loved ones? Will I have a big house, you know? Will there be the hobby that I love, right? Will there, there won't be golf because I don't think there'll be cursing in heaven, okay? So uh, <clears throat> no golf. But, uh, you know, but you know, we get into the particulars, but that really isn't the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven is we will be like him. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, although I think every hand should go up, okay? How many of you have a sin a particular sin that has been a lifetime struggle. One hand. I didn't say no hands go up. You know, I think every, right? and you're like, man, like, and by the way, and here's what happens with the whatever particular sin that's your lifetime struggle is you know someone that had the same struggle, and the minute they came to Jesus, the struggle went away, right, for them. And you're like, man, how'd they get, and, and there's this lifetime struggle for you. It's a constant temptation, and sometimes you fall, and it's a sin, and it grieves you, and you're like, man, why can't I overcome this one? And I've got really good news for you. I want you to fight the good fight, continue to, we'll talk about this at the end this morning, discipline yourself, continue to fight the good fight, but there is going to come a day when he returns that we will be like him, and you will be sin-free. Isn't that great news? And everyone around you will be sin-free. And there's not going to be any more injustices. There's not going to be any more brokenness in our community. And every person in heaven is going to look out for your interests as more important than their own interests. I mean, doesn't that sound like an amazing place? I can't even imagine how great it's going to be. And in the meantime, let her see, the return of Christ, the thought of Christ's return encourages us to righteousness. So I talked about this last week, right? It encourages us to walk in righteousness. First John 3, 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, right? So there's a coming day we'll be glorified. But in the meantime, man, we're growing and walking in righteousness. Second thing that John Paul brings our attention to is the nature of sin. The nature of sin is lawlessness, he says. First so John 3, 4 to 6. Check this out. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, and it's talking about the person and the work of Christ. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to spend a little time on verse 6, okay? But I want you to pay attention to it here. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So letter A, lawlessness is the essence of sin. 
at the heart of sin is the idea that I don't want any authority over me. Everybody with me? None of us likes a boss. It's in our nature, right? The Bible says we're born into sin. We have a sin nature, and we want to be the boss of ourselves. It starts, you know, that's why we label it the terrible twos, right? Terrible twos, what happens? It starts early. I don't want you to tell me what to do. And it ends, I'm not sure when, actually. So, uh, you know, but... Because the sin nature's with us, right? It hasn't even ended in my own life yet. And I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want a boss. I don't want, I want to be a God unto myself. John says that sin, letter B, is incompatible with the person and work of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it means, and I've said this in a couple weeks now as we've been unpacking John, that we all worship something. It's not a matter of if you worship. It's a matter of what you worship. So we're worshiping Jesus, and we're going to love what Jesus loves. We're going to pursue who he is. He loves righteousness. He is righteous. He came to defeat sin. We're going to hate sin, and we're going we're to love Christ, and therefore love righteousness. Now, verse 6, and I'm going to circle back to this in a minute. Verse 6 is often used by people to teach that as Christians, okay, remember three theological parts of our journey. We become a Christian, theological journey number one is what? Everybody remember? Justification, right? Now we're in this process called what? Sanctification, and our future will be what? Glorification. There are times that verse 6 is taught that during our, our sanctification process, we can be without sin, okay? I don't think that's what Scripture teaches, and I'm going to unpack that and show you why in just a minute, all right? All right, so letter C. Therefore, since a Christian loves Jesus and has a hard posture of worshiping Jesus, the children of God pursue righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is righteous. He conquered sin. He's without sin. We, therefore, love Christ, and we become, and we love what Christ loves. We take on this, I talked about this last week, we take on the family resemblance. All right, third thing I want you to see this morning that John covers here, is the origin of sin is the devil. I find this a really interesting text, okay? So to be clear, the Bible doesn't give us tons and tons on the devil. And so I always like to be silent where the Scriptures silent. I like to speak where the Scriptures speak. I always say this, the Bible's really, really clear on enough stuff in my life that it's going to take a lifetime just to work on that. I don't got to speculate about the things I don't understand. Everybody with me on that? Okay, and so, but here's the origin of sin. First John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, what, church? The works of the the devil. What do I always say? We have three enemies to our faith. The world, which John dealt with a couple weeks ago. We looked at that. The flesh, our sin nature, and the what? The devil. These are the three enemies of our faith, okay? Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want to, I want to unpack for just a moment, okay? So I want to look at Isaiah chapter 14. Now, I want to be really, really clear. Isaiah chapter 14 is written by the prophet talking about the enemies of the nation of Israel, okay? 
And so that's really its target. But most commentators, not all, but most commentators would agree, this also speaks to the fall of Satan from the beginning. So am I 100% sure of this? No. But I, am I in good company? Yes. Okay. So I just want you to see this. Okay. And Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. This is, man, if this doesn't make you squirm and want to know Jesus, I don't know what will. Okay. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms are your covers. How many of y'all just threw up your mouth a little bit? Okay. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. What is the sin of the devil? Anybody? It's pride. Right? It's pride. I want it's it's lawlessness. What is the nature of sin? It's lawlessness. I don't want a boss. I don't want authority. I want to be a law or a god as unto myself. Satan had a position at some point in eternity past, and he didn't like his position, and he wanted God's position. Right? I'm telling you, at the, at the core of every single sin is pride. It's pretty fascinating that we live in a culture that has now dedicated a month what God has called sin is calling it righteousness and has dedicated this month and called it what? And what is the symbol? And what is the rainbow in Scripture? It's God's promise not to destroy the world again by flood, specifically, right? We're pretty arrogant as a people, aren't we? Hey, God, don't, don't, tell, don't tell us. By the way, I can be arrogant too. Don't tell me. I'll do it my way the same sin as the devil, right? In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching on his deity, on his oneness with the Father. And uh, by the way, in some regard, it's, it's the doctrine of the Trinity that got Jesus crucified. It was this idea that God is one and you're claiming to be God and the Israelites couldn't get their, a lot of the Jews couldn't get their head around it. And having this argument with the Jews in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, he says, you are of your father the what, church? And you're doing your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own what? For he, li he is a liar and the father of lies. So in some ways, it's kind of this theme that is running through First John. Family identity. If you're in justification, if you're in Christ, you're declared righteous, you're in family identity, you're now sanctification growing in the family identity. So if this part hasn't yet taken place in your life, you haven't yet repented of your sin, bowed a knee to the Lordship of Jesus, received the gospel of Jesus Christ, it could be that you think you're here, but really what needs to take place is here first. You need to get the right family identity. Because if there's 
if you're loving your sin over and over and over, you could be in the wrong family. The family of the devil. That Christ needs to be the object of our worship. But as Christians, we're children of the Most High God. And so John now says this, point number four. He said there should be evidence of being a Christian. There should be evidence of being a Christian. So 1 John 3, 9 through 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Which, by the way, it sounds like a tack on. He's been talking about a lot of really spiritual stuff. All right? And then he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So I'm going I'm to unpack that for you in a minute. But letter A, a Christian does not practice sin. Practicing sin is the idea of a settled habit. A Christian does not love their sin. A, a, a Christian does not celebrate their sin. A a Christian grieves their sin. A Christian hates their sin. A Christian desires, when confronted, to be rid of their sin. And a Christian, while still sinning and will have sin in their life, continues the good fight against their sin. Everybody with me? In fact, I and so let me let me take a little side note on why I think this is important. The Bible does not teach that as Christians we can achieve sinless perfection this side of heaven. Now, let me say that again. The Bible does not teach that this side of heaven Christians can achieve sinless perfection. And verse 6 is often used to make that point. Well, if you love God, you're walking in righteousness, you're not walking in sin. But I believe that this leads to discouragement for many Christians. Well, why? You know, what's the deal? I should be. This is where I should be. And I think we failed to read verse 6 in context with verse 2. I think verse 2 actually gives us commentary on this case that John is building here. Okay? On verse 6. What is verse 2? Just to remind you. Let's circle back up here. I'll put it back up on the screen. Beloved, verse 2, we are God's children now. Okay? So let's go through our doctrines. Doctrine of justification. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. But we're in process. Sanctification. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What's he talking about? Glorification, right? But we know that when he appears, we will be what? Like it. So the sinlessness is coming because we shall see him as he is. Okay, so I think he's teaching that, hey, sin, I'm not talking about that this, in the sanctification process, we're going to be sinless. However, John is giving a stern warning to Christians that we should still fear our own ability to sin. A mature Christian, let me say this again, 
a mature Christian puts very serious safeguards in their life surrounding their own ability to still sin. Everybody with me? I'm going to go, for, I'm going to go from, from preaching to meddling. Okay. We, uh, we offer a class here at Coastal called the We Are Coastal class. It's our on-ramp to church membership. Um, I talk to people all the time about why I think church membership is important. And the key reason that I see church membership is important is not what you might think. Because here's the deal. I can't go to chapter and verse and show you where the Bible talks about formal church membership. What I can do is show you chapter and verse that says there's certain things that need to be in our lives to protect us during our sanctification process for our own ability to still sin. And so the reason that you should be a church member is it's submitting your life under pastors and elders so that if you get off track in such a way that there is habitual, I want you to be very clear what I'm going to say here, habitual, unrepentant sin, that there are spiritual authorities that love you enough to come alongside of you and say, guess what? The Bible says this, the wages of sin is what? Death. So we don't want you on the path to death. We want you on the path to what? Life. And you have this habitual, unrepentant sin that concerns us that you might be on the path to death. And a Christian should go, you know what? You're right. I don't want to be on that path. What do I need to do to be on the path of life? And so if you're here this morning, you've just been attending, I fear that you don't fear your own ability to still sin. Everybody with me? So if you're like, well, I can't join Coastal. Great. Find a Bible-believing church that you can join. But submit yourself to godly shepherds, pastors, and elders that love you enough to make sure you're on the path to life. I'm going to peel back the curtain. I'm going to give you two stories. These are true stories. God gave me this years ago. You wouldn't, none of you would know these people, I don't think. So, and I'm not going to name them, but you won't even know the story. So, um, in one day, I had to sit down with two people that were professing with their lips to be Christians and yet had habitual, unrepentant sin in their lives. Okay? And so, and it came to my attention, and so I made appointments to sit with each of them. The first one, I sat them down. This person, I had one that was a church member, one that wanted to be a church member, okay? So the first one, I sat them down. I said, hey, I heard this is going on in your life. It's a public sin. People know about it. It seems habitual. It seems unrepentant. I said, is this the state that your life is in? They said, yes. Okay, I said, so I took them to the scriptures. I said, this is what the scripture defines this particular sin as a sin, it's not compatible with lifestyle of loving Jesus. What do you think about these scriptures? Because Jesus is holy. God is holy. Holiness is good for us. You're on the wage, the wage of sin is death. We're on the path of death. I want you on the path of death. I want you on the path of life. I read that. They agree that that's what the Bible says, but it says, I am not going to change my lifestyle. I like where I am. And so while this person is professing to be a Christian, their heart posture is telling me they love their what? They love their sin. The second person who wanted to be a church member, meet with them. So I know you want to be a church member. It's a public sin. I heard about it. It's habitual. Does that describe your lifestyle? Yes. I said, take them to scriptures. I show them what the scriptures say about this particular sin. They're like, I agree. And then they start weeping. 
and say, man, I hate this sin. I will do whatever I need to do to overcome this sin. And this person did whatever they needed to do to overcome that sin. And they became a church member. And there were times that their temptation overwhelmed them and they gave in to that particular sin. But they were a member of this church and we'd sit down with them and he'd say, I hate my sin. It's not a matter of do Christian sin or non-Christian sin. Both groups sin, but a Christian hates their sin and a non-Christian loves their sin. It's heart posture. Everybody with me? And so John is warning us as Christians, your sin nature's with you all the way to glorification, and you better take it really serious and do whatever you do, can do to get practicing sin out of your life. Amen? And he's saying the evidence of a true believer is one, that man, I hate my sin, and, and if it requires... So is why he says, I think in verse 10, that we should love the brothers. If it requires a brother or a sister in the Lord to come alongside of me and go, hey, hey, bro, hey, sis, I see this going on in your life. I'm concerned that they love you enough to pull you over for some coffee and say, I'm concerned. That is the most loving thing a brother or sister in Christ can do. Amen? Amen. Listen, I t- we teach our staff here. Billy Graham rule. I don't know if you know what the Billy Graham rule is. Billy Graham rules you don't get in a car with a member of the opposite sex that's not your spouse and drive alone. Why? Because we want to be above the appearance of evil. Maybe nothing's going. Maybe it's a work appointment, and we all have lots of work appointments that we're going to. But, you know, if you've got to drive two cars to this one, drive two cars to this one. Because we want to protect you and all of us from our own ability to sin. Everybody with me on that? All right, let her be. A true Christian practices righteousness and loves their Christian family. I already made that point, okay? A true Christian practice, and I love the word practice, okay? Uh, I love the word practice um, because practice is, sounds a lot like, um, it sounds a lot like discipline, right? It's something you work on. I, uh, I had the joy, uh, incredible, probably one of the great, greatest joys of my life, of coaching Little League Baseball. It gave you higher highs and lower lows than anything I've ever done in my life. Any, By the way, any I, and there was none in the first service. Any parents here where your little leaguers are like going to state? I, I, haven't, been, I haven't been keeping up with the news. Anybody? I, nobody? I can't really always see. Oh, good. You, what what, what uh, district? What? Oh, I hate your county. I'm from Pocosin. So anyway, good on you guys. It's great. Real happy for you. Um, <laughs> Hope it goes well. Um, but no, I had the I probably coached or managed probably five all-star teams out of Pocosin. A couple of them went to state. And in hindsight, now as I've gotten older, I look back and I'm like, uh, we were over the top. Okay, so really, really over the top. And so yeah, worship team went one out. And so um, because we only had two hours of practice time, uh, we would want to work on defense in the evening as we were preparing for the state tournament. And, um, and so in what we decided to do, this is insane. Um, as it's coming out of my mouth, some of y'all are going to stone me. We, we, we would get the 9- and 10-year-old children up at 7 a.m. and do batting practice, okay? Did I do that to you? I probably did that to you. Have you forgiven me? Not really. Uh, so anyway, um, and so we'd get them up at 7 a.m. to do batting practice. And 7, year, not, 7 a.m., 9- and 10-year-olds look something like this, okay? So, and uh, we're doing the batting practice, and I'm trying to hurry them along, 
you know, and because I, I got to get to work, and I'm like rolling through and pitching them. I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. Hustle up. Let's go. Come on, coach. We're so tired. And finally, I'm like, come on, guys, hurry up. I got to get to work. And one of the kids goes, I thought you were a pastor. <sighs> I, I am. What's that mean? I thought you only worked on Sunday. I was like, you fit right in at my church. Come on out, man. Hey, that's what it is. Good work if you can find it. You know, so. Um, but here's what I loved about practice. I never did a practice and expected us to be perfect. I did practice because I wanted us to improve. Everybody with me? And my thought was, man, if, if, I, if state tournament is two weeks away and I have 10 days of practice between now and then, and each practice we can get 1% better than we were the day before, by the time we get to state tournament, we should be 10% better. Everybody with me? I think what John is encouraging us, yes, we should be concerned and 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 take serious our ability as Christians to still sin, but the discipleship process, at the root of discipleship, is a, wor is a word. What's at the root of discipleship? Discipline, which sounds a lot like what? Practice. Right? Practice righteousness. So here's what I want you to do, all right? Um, we're going to really, really practically this morning, all right? I want you to get your paper out. I don't want you to write this down because the room's full and I know you're afraid someone will look at your sheet of paper. I want you in your mind, in your mind, to have one sin or temptation that's your struggle. Like, it's always with you and you're like, I really want to overcome this one. All right, so have that in your mind. You're not writing that down. Now I want you to, here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write down one thing that you can practice to grow in righteousness in that area. So write something down. Maybe you're like, I don't know what to write down. So let me give you some hints, okay? Accountability. That's why John 3.10 ends with tell a brother or sister. Have, love the brothers or sisters. The brothers, find someone that you trust, that you can be honest with. By the way, is anybody in this room perfect? Anybody? No, we're all imperfect. That's why God gave you a spouse to help point those things out, okay? So, no. so guess what? Since everybody, no, no, nobody in this room is perfect, guess what we can be with one another? Patient, gracious, transparent, authentic, kind. So find a trusted brother and sister. Say, man, I'm really struggling with this one. I just, here's what I need from you. Just like text me once a week. Ask me how, it's doing, how I'm doing this area. Scripture memorization. Maybe the discipline you want to put in your own scripture memorization. Psalm 118 says, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you, right? So, so Google the temptation you're with. Well, maybe don't do that. Okay, go, uh, get three Bible verses of what you're struggling with, right? And commit them to memory and... And, and let the Word of God do its thing. Or journal. Read the Scriptures and write some things down. You ready? Join the church. And commit to the church's discipleship process. The church's discipleship process really will help you grow and practice righteousness. Because what, what it means to be a member at Coastal is you're committing to the discipleship process. 
Connect by doing what? Regular tender corporate worship. Grow by doing what? Being a small Surrounding yourself with other Christians that help you when you struggle. Serve in a what? Ministry and mission. When you give back, you grow in holiness and righteousness and multiply. Invest yourself in someone else who can be sent for the purpose of the gospel. Let's grow. Imagine if all of us, listen, we're not going to show up here next week perfect, but let us, what if we grew in spirituality 1% this week? Where would we be by the end of the year? 50, 50% better, man. Last year, last service, he shouted that out. I was like, I got an accountant behind me. He's really smart. All right? Like, imagine if we all grew 1%, right? As we practice righteousness and holiness together. Not to earn salvation, but to grow in our family identity. Everybody with me on that? All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Listen, I'll invite the prayer team up. If you came here this morning, you need some prayer. They are here for you. Never, never leave without praying. God cares for you. We care for you. We want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I pray for us this morning as a church, God. It's, there's a lot the world throws at us. We have three enemies. The world who's against the way, the worldview that you've taught us, God. The devil, the father of lies. And our own sin nature, God's always with us till the day that you return. Our faith becomes sight, God. In the meantime, God, help us to discipline ourselves, to practice, to to grow in holiness and righteousness, oh Lord Jesus. And, uh, And God, I pray for the Christians in this room, like temptations are real, God. And I know many of us, myself included, when I give in to my temptation, I sin, God, I hate it so much. And it just makes me long for the day that my faith becomes sight. And then we will be as he is, God. Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us the victory. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope of heaven. And in the meantime, God, help us to practice us to discipline ourselves. Help us to grow, grow more into the family resemblance so that we can worship you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.